0: Hi there and welcome to a new episode of Impact Talks. Today we have Renske van Kolenburg with us. She's from the music industry, has had an incredible past and is still doing some incredible things. Renske, please introduce yourself. Tell the people what they do and where they might know you from.
1: Yes, uh, like you said, thank you, by the way, for the invitation, uh, Lova. It's nice to be here today. Uh, yes, I am from the electronic music industry, actually. So. Uh, for people that don't know i call it simply the dj world i started in 2009 with my own company uh, mostly doing interview jobs worldwide also worked as an event moderator uh, at, um, an award show host and i've been djing myself since 2011.
0: so um, what i find interesting is well let's start at the beginning so how did you get into the industry because Uh, What you're doing now is obviously very relevant to how you started, I can imagine. So can you give a little bit of background story how you ended up into the industry? I mean, at one point you became a DJ as well. Can you give a brief overview?
1: Sure. Um, I actually rolled into it very naturally. Uh, I never thought I was going to have a career in music. Um, But I was always so passionate about it. It was... um, since I was a little kid and I took dancing classes and the first electronic music songs and tracks were actually coming over from the States and um, and then the UK. Uh, and then the Netherlands got this electronic music fever, but it never left us. And when I was seven, eight years old, so it was the end of the 80s, I took dancing classes and my uh, teacher was actually playing those tracks in Uh, in my classes. And since then, I was hooked. It never let me go. So I think in 2008, 9, when I was working at Endemol, uh, a big uh, TV company, um, some other people who were actually working for MTV and TMF asked me if I wanted to uh, be part of their show because they wanted to do something about uh, doing, yeah, with DJs, like interview DJs and and this is actually how it started. I, I, by the way, that, that show got never aired. They pulled back because of budget reasons. But this is where it started for me in 2009. I was like, but I really like doing this and it comes so natural. So I started my company then. Yeah.
0: So tell me, tell me then more about the company, what you were doing. Um, yeah, continue, please.
1: I... Um yeah, like I said, I started doing the interview jobs and there were not a lot of people who were doing that only on camera. But now everything is on camera, even what we're doing. We're, we're, we're recording a podcast on camera as well. But in those days, it was not so, so normal to do that. So I got invited to do all the interviews. Uh, I worked um, at Coachella in L.A., I worked uh, for a film in Miami for Ultra Music Festival, but also here in the Netherlands, the Amsterdam dance event for years. I have been working in the press room or as an event moderator uh, for DJ Mac Awards. I have hosted a show in the Amsterdam arena in front of 30,000 people. So it was very diverse. I, I, I Within no time, I was actually working for amazing clients. And um, so this is... How my company really started, and then in 2011, same thing. I never thought I was going to have a professional DJ career because I was really I was a purist, and but people started to ask me for it. People started to ask me to warm up for them on uh, um, on events, and in 2013, I was already playing in the states and in Ibiza among my uh, my dear colleagues so this is basically the start of everything yeah
0: okay so that's a, a very brief overview um so it definitely gives a picture i want to talk about well at least i'm super interested in first of all how do you transition what did you do going from interviewee to people actually asking you oh, you should open for me, like, did they listen to a song that you gave them? How did that happen?
1: No, I am uh, also DJ more in the underground scene. So I have worked with a lot of commercial artists, like, I don't know, Tiesto, van Buren, Martin Garrix, the people that everybody knows. Uh, But my own style is a little bit more underground, like house music, techno music. And uh, because of my immense network, people started to ask me as well for their events if I could help them out with the lineups and um and uh, yeah for one event I was helping them uh, arranging DJs for that event and they asked me do you want to be the warm up DJ for them and I said yeah sure and uh, yeah this is this is how it started I wasn't producing music yet it, that that came a little bit later a few years later so um yeah, like I said, I just rolled into it.
0: Did you study music?
1: No, not at all. I didn't even study journalism. Um when I was even though I was doing all the great interviews. Um I also I, I call myself more an interviewer than a journalist, basically, because um I noticed that a lot of journalists are also about the I don't know. Even negative news is news, you know, when an artist uh, comes across like, um, you know, in a very negative way, like paparazzi, right? That was not really my style because I really cared about and still do about the, the music industry and about the people that I was interviewing. So they really felt safe with me as well. I remember one day I was working at a big festival doing camera interviews and there was um also Radio 538, one of the biggest radio channels here in the Netherlands, who had um an, an appointment with one of the DJs to interview him for the show. And he didn't show up at their show, but he did show up on my camera. So they called me. How is that possible? How did how were you able to, to do that interview? because he was probably too drunk or something to be to do the interview on the but he trusted me so much that I would never make him look like an idiot or something on camera so um yeah it, it's it's yeah so no I, I never really studied obviously i studied be, out of passion a lot of things came natural to me because it's it's your passion you really want to know more about something and of course Every time I was interviewing somebody or doing a job for a big event, obviously I did my homework. I wanted to, you know, get the best out of the person I was interviewing all the time, even though I I knew him for maybe 10 years already. So in that sense, I did my homework, but I'd never really studied journalism or
0: music. So, so then it's fair to say that the beginning of your career was very much you becoming an interviewer and kind of mastering the skill of interviewing. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So how can you share like some tips? Obviously I'm interviewing as well. Um, a lot of guests come every week. So give me some tips, uh, or what kind of books did you read as you were starting to educate yourself on this topic? Uh, Can you share some?
1: Yeah, sure. I am a very intuitive person. Um, So, um, you know, as an interviewer, do your homework because the person that you're interviewing really wants to feel that you really want to interview that person and not somebody else. For example, I, I learned this really early in my in the beginning of my career when i was walking in the press room of the amsterdam dance event and it was the, my first time there probably 2008 or 9 and there were all these big names big artists sitting there and there were many journalists you know uh, waiting on each other to be the next one to interview them and i noticed that some of the journalists didn't even know who they were really talking to so that really pissed the artist off and then I thought wow and they went to school for this you know uh, or they really studied journalism and they're not really even knowing who they're interviewing so um that's the first thing you know uh, really really dive into the person that you're interviewing and the second thing is it's not about you so many journalists are thinking about how am I looking how am I um Um, no let the other person shine it's it's you're just a medium a tool of where the other person the artist that you're interviewing or the person that you're interviewing needs you to to come across at their best or you really want to support them getting their message out so that was basically that are the, the the main tips that i would give anybody um and then for the rest, it really also depends on on the energy between you and, and the one that you're interviewing, right? It is some people like to talk a lot, some people are really nervous in front of a camera or when there's a microphone under their nose. So then it's more like guiding them, helping them, and the other one is more like where where do I stop them? Where do I? So it was really intuitive, but also really fun, and it it to me it I really I've every single interview I did even with people that in the end were not maybe so warm in the end, still, I, I liked it a lot, every interview that I've done. Yeah.
0: Can you, can you share some cool stories for fans? Like, what are some of the top interviews you did that you really liked and what did you learn from it?
1: Sure, that's a really nice question, because um I've obviously interviewed so many DJs and so many artists around the world and um, one day i was working in Ibiza for a music conference there and i had all these people lined up like DJs that i needed to interview but then there was Nal Rogers and i don't know for the people who don't know Nal Rogers look him up because then you you definitely know he's the guy uh, now working with uh, with Daft Punk and but back in the days in the 70s he was already famous for his work with Chic and he made incredible music for, for example, David Bowie, Let's Dance. So he was like, I saw him there and I didn't have any appointment with him or his management and I thought, okay, this is a once in a lifetime chance. When am I ever gonna meet that person again? So I walked to him and he was surrounded by cameras and by people that all wanted something from him. And here I came along without an appointment, not knowing him. And I, I just asked him, Niall, do you have maybe a little bit of time for me when you're finished here? And he said, um, you are so gentle. He said, yeah, sure, right after this one. And I skipped my other interviews <laughs> because I was like, oh, that DJ spoke to him a lot of times already. That one, that they can wait, they can wait. Still with respect, obviously. I would never just uh, not show up at an interview. Um, so, without any preparation, without any only the the things that I knew about Nile, we had an amazing an amazing talk, so that was and then, in the same weekend, I met Georgia marauder um who is really also for the people I, I think everybody knows him, but if you don't know him, please Google Georgia Marauder because what he's brought so much to the world as well musically um so those were really two huge highlights of my career. I was really like, wow, I uh I made well, it. What I, did you I...
0: talk to them about when you were interviewing them? Like how long is that talk? What do you talk about with them?
1: Uh with Niall, he actually took quite some time uh to to talk with me. And we spoke about music, obviously, but also we spoke about um I knew that he was sick and he was only the one of the few survivors still, uh, people alive from Chic, from the, the, the group that he was in in the 70s. And um, so we spoke also about very personal stuff, how he was dealing with also a, a mother that he, I think his mother gave birth to him when she was 14, like really young, I remember. And she was also a drug addict. So he spoke about that. Uh, he spoke about what he liked, what his best song was, uh, what his most special one was. He also worked on the song Why um, by Carly Simon, and that is one of his personal favorites. We spoke about David Bowie and his work with David. And um, the only thing, unfortunately, sometimes with my work, when the media I am working for is not my own, but I'm working for a a, a company, then they sometimes edit the... The interviews in such a way that for me all the juicy stuff the good stuff is gone so I think also in that interview what was left was me talking with him about the electronic music because I was at an electronic music conference but to me all the good stuff was in the personal stuff and I yeah
0: so so can you share like a bit like deeper learning lessons from the juicy stuff, because it sounds super interesting. I've obviously never met a person uh, uh, in the music industry like that who had such a like past. So yeah, what are some interesting things like that you learned?
1: I learned f- from Niall in ge- or in general?
0: Yeah, no, let's start with Nile and then go to the, uh, the other conversation because obviously that, that interview got edited. So what are like some interesting things that got edited out?
1: Yeah, it's a long time ago, but uh, Nile what I remember from Niall is that he is, wow, what a positive person and so friendly. Uh, he is really approachable. Like I said, I didn't need an appointment. He, I, I could speak to him right away. And he was really warm-hearted and kind. And even though he had been through so much in his life, good stuff and bad stuff, he embraced it all. And he, he's really, really a positive person. Really, really a positive person.
0: what, well, well, what gave you that impression? Um, what did he say that made that impression?
1: Um, I remember that he spoke about his mother, and uh, obviously it's not really uh, easy to grow up with a teenage mother as a child who was also addicted to drugs, And but there was not one single bad word about his mother. He um, and She actually passed away, I think, two weeks ago, I saw on, on social media. He, he really had a good connection with her. Uh, I don't know, obviously, about all the details in his life. I don't know how it went when he was growing up, but he was really positive and he was only talking with love about his mother and um
0: so that that really stood out
1: yeah that that is something that really stood out for me definitely yeah yeah
0: do you find do you find that um the relationship with the parents uh in the music industry when you look at successful artists it's a good one or a bad one because i know that if you look into certain industries, especially maybe in entrepreneurship, maybe I'm generalizing a little bit, but I, I seem to find a lot of entrepreneurs who tend to have like not the best relationship with their parents. Um, is that the same in the music industry?
1: I don't know, really. Uh, I don't I don't talk with all my colleagues about their parents. Obviously, the ones that I am uh, uh, that are friends of mine. I know more about their personal lives, but um, for example, I've I, you know what it is when you become really, really successful. You don't see your parents a lot anymore because you don't also don't see your normal friends, quote unquote, anymore because you you travel all the time, so your friends and your family actually become the people in the music industry, um, so. For example, I've also worked with people like Tim Berklin, whose artist name is Avicii, and he he, he passed away in two thousand eighteen. And I had a meeting with his father um, um, last August because I also speak about mental health in the music industry. And um, it's really it's 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 very heartbreaking to see a young person like that become very very successful. Not really knowing what kind of industry they are getting into, and especially the parents, they have no idea. Uh, so they kind of are losing their son a little bit because of all the traveling. The you know your 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 child becomes a public asset almost, right? It's more like a product um, instead of a human being, and everybody wants something from your from your child. Um, so I don't know about if, if it's true that artists not have a good relationship. It, I think it can be both, uh, you know, because maybe you start missing your, your, the safety of your father and your mother a lot when you work in a very competitive, quite a hard industry as well uh, at the same time where you have to really take care of yourself. And I, I can really imagine that a lot of people also start to miss their parents actually a lot. Yeah, Okay.
0: I'd love to hear actually something you touched on uh, from like both perspectives. So you said, obviously, like you start traveling a lot and, and then that connection starts fading. Um, you talked with the dad of Avicii then and probably other DJs as well. But what is it like when like your child goes off? Because we we always hear and see the movies. Of, you know, the artist makes it and like the private jets and everything. But but what's it like for the parents and the family? Like w- what happens exactly? You touched it. It, it. Like it sounded really interesting. So could you kind of say it more from that perspective? Like what happens with the parents um, when the person goes on private jets?
1: <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> I cannot speak for all the parents, but oh, I- in general, obviously... You are really happy for your child because they um, they have been working hard for what they have reached, so you're proud, right? You 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 want them to um, to travel that world and and do the thing that they, that they love doing because they worked so hard for it. And at the same time, I think it really can make people feel anxious about what's going to happen next. Is he or she? staying sane is she um the lack of sleep people are you become a public asset you become a marketing product
0: what but what does that mean like people like you become a public asset how how does that affect the parent
1: um it's i think you you get worried about uh if i see for example we spoke about avicii already Uh, And for him, it was uh, really tough as well. But he was not just a DJ anymore. He was a a pop artist. He was, you know, he was working with Madonna with, you know, with with everybody. So... um, it's like these these Hollywood people that you see in the, in the magazines, the paparazzi, they're getting chased. They, he doesn't have one single minute for himself because everybody wants something from you, either a picture or an, a signature or just touch you or be around you. And I'm not just talking about the groupies because they are not always able to reach you, right? You're backstage, you're on a, on a, on a stage or you're in a private jet. So that, that's not where, where the audience is. But... Everybody knows you and everybody wants something from you. So I really, you know, as a parent, and this is really an important topic that that people forget. And this is exactly what I spoke about with the father of Avicii, how important it is to have the right guidance for young talents and their parents to guide them through this process. What is happening with your son or your daughter? Uh, What is important for him or her? Um, how are you protecting your boundaries? How is he or she staying healthy? What is the goal of the artist and not only from the management or the booking agent that can still be caring people, but it's also a money-making industry, right? So there are different... um, Wait, I'm
0: confused. So obviously I understand like a parent doesn't understand what's happening with the child, but I was... uh, thinking like oh maybe these groupies show up at the doorstep of the parents or journalists show up without permission but it, but it seems like that's apparently not happening which is really good of course but um so but why do they need specific support then if they like they can just call their child and like talk with them no
1: a good question but the child a lot of people especially when you are young and you get your first successes there are so many of them that i have seen that really literally lose themselves they um, they become either an alcoholic or a drug addict or they cannot deal with the pressure uh, or the touring Why do you schedules think that
0: happens
1: because we work in an in an industry where our office so the dj booth And the backstage area is a place where other people are letting go. Other people are using drugs and alcohol. And this is where you need to work. (laughs) Yeah. And the anxiety of, uh, for example, uh, the pressure. um, Let's say your name is Avicii, your name is Tim Berkland, and there are uh, three times a week... um, Twenty to 50,000, maybe 100,000 people waiting for you because you're so popular and you are actually really tired and also you have a little bit of stage fright because you're not really, you couldn't keep up with the amount of success that you are experiencing. A lot of people, the, the, the biggest fear of many people is public speaking, to go on stage in front of people. Same with DJs. DJs, a lot of the time, are very introvert people, especially in the underground scene. Now, DJing became something that is, you need to be on social media, people, uh, 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 young kids are looking up to Martin Garrix or Avicii or Hartwell. Those are the DJs that are commercials, commercial DJs, they... You know, the the kids that look up to them and want to become a DJ, they know it's part of the job to get still, they don't know what to expect, but you know, they know a little bit it's part of the job to be seen and getting out there. But DJing actually started what in the seventies, eighties, and it, it was not really a cool profession. You were the one you just keep the people on the dance floor so the the club owner can make money off the bar and you would be happy if you would get paid. or So then there was disco, house music, techno music. And these artists were really underground artists. They cared about the music, but not so much about. This was pre-social media, pre-big stages on festivals with cameras. They were in a little dark corner behind a DJ booth telling a story with their music. They couldn't care less about being seen or not. Times have changed. So uh, in that sense, uh, not every artist is really built uh, to deal with that amount of pressure. And so they build up anxiety. And what you do when you're nervous and alcohol and drugs is, is, is all around you, I'll have a drink or maybe the next time I take two drinks because I need to be ready for stage. And for Avicii, for example, he started to drink more and more to because he was first of all performing so much and second of all he became anxious and he needed that to be able to feel you know to take the the raw edges of of the anxiety so it's it's tricky it's very tricky
0: yeah definitely there are much better ways uh, to do that so I wouldn't recommend uh, to go that path um, we actually had a uh, a uh, longevity expert on a couple of podcasts uh, ago Aubrey de Grey who talked about like other ways to like prolong lives and uh, live healthier and stuff like that but uh, I wanted to then cover the other side because you, you definitely mentioned like a lot of kids are looking up to all these artists you're in that industry you've you know interviewed hung out with them DJ with them um, what actually does happen Yeah, I watched. I don't know if you saw that movie, um, "We Are Your Friends" with Zac Efron about uh, DJing. Um, But what actually happens when they become popular? Like, how how does they how do they become popular? Is it like in the movies, like they get a contract and suddenly they're all over the world, like flying? Is it really like from one day to the other, or is there a gradual increase? Like, what's the life like of an EDM?
1: That really depends, um, because now you are only talking about, well, there. Are, I don't like to label, but there are now, we, we label DJs. EDM basically is electronic dance music, right? That, to me, is everything. It's techno, it's house, it's, 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 it's everything. However, nowadays, EDM is more a label for the more commercial DJs. And that's what most people know. But the industry is way more than that. The commercial DJs are only from the last, what, 10 years maybe? And all those 20 years before, it was really more underground. It was not so much about being a marketing product. It was not so much about how are you doing on social media. It was not so, you know, people had to really work hard. So there are different ways to success. Also, I think we need to redefine what success is. Success means something else for everyone, right? Um, but if we are only talking about, sort of say, the EDM DJs, the really commer- commercial DJs, you definitely have to have either a talent like Martin Garrix had. He looked up to Tiesto and, and he was trying to make that kind of music. So he really became a very young, very good producer, Meaning that one one day when he was 16 or 17, I think he was 16, his track became number one in the UK charts. And that's where he took off. So he didn't have that gradual uh, learning curve to be a DJ. Like, how is it to do a warm-up set? No, all of a sudden he was playing in front of thousands of people making a shitload of money. Um Obviously that comes with contracts with record labels because then everybody wants to have a piece of you, right? Um, so that's a way, but nowadays because uh, electronic dance music became so popular, there are also investors. So there are also big um, big parties like Mojo that invests in an artist for example to make them big.
0: What is an in- how does an investment look like that then? is
1: like oh you look nice you can play records okay we have a ghost producer for you and that ghost producer makes all your tracks and we have a, a, a manager for you so oh, we already know uh, we have a plan we have a marketing and management plan a business plan around that artist and this is how that artist grows and becomes successful I'm not going to mention names, <laughs> but there are a few that really uh, have a big success now because of of something like this. Yeah.
0: But so, a ghost producer creates the track. So then, what does the uh, artist do actually?
1: The artist shows up at the gigs and plays music for people.
0: Okay, and. Okay, maybe I'm very ignorant, but then what does play music mean? Just DJing. I'm thinking like, okay, so so then mixing music, uh, okay, so they're still doing something. It's not like they're clicking play and just playing with the... No, we
1: have have that. um, uh, There are really big festivals like Tomorrowland in Belgium. And obviously, a lot of the times there are uh, little clips, videos uh, appearing online where they say, this artist is not mixing, this artist. There are probably a few (laughs) uh, that are really, you know, pressing, have a pre-recorded set. But also, I like to defend those people as well, because a lot of the time, big festivals like Tomorrowland maybe have a fireworks show. So uh, maybe the last two tracks of that artist's uh, DJ set, it's beautiful when the, the, the um, fireworks explodes during, I don't know, like a really after a break in the music or, you know, when when something is happening. So it needs to be synchronized. It me- needs to be on point. So that counts for really, really big festivals. Um
0: I actually I always wondered, I I was once uh, I, I went to Tomorrowland like a long time ago. I absolutely loved it. And I didn't like festivals before that. Uh, but I always wondered what? Why wouldn't a DJ just like do the perfect mix at home, record it and just hit play? Uh, because then it's kind of also fun for the DJ. They can enjoy themselves maybe a bit more? I, I don't know how it works, of course, but but why wouldn't they do because that? Because it's
1: not fun. You DJ because you like to DJ. DJing is not pressing play. I can teach everybody how to, how to mix records. It is about... Can you feel who is in front of you? Can you feel the energy of the room? What is needed here? What kind of story am I telling with my my music? Which track am I going to play next? Am I going to go deep? Am I taking them on on another journey? Am I going to uh, put that really obscure record in, in, in the middle of my set so they will be like shaking? Am I taking that risk or not? You're really taking, this is the art of DJing.
0: So it's not predetermined. I kind of assumed like you had your song choices and then you Well, I don't I don't know anything about DJing. But so I'm assuming there are songs and then you you just mix them somehow. <laughs> I, I think
1: know. when you look at the really really famous DJs that are that became like pop idols like like Avicii or of course they are more an act. Why? I'm not saying that they're not really mixing. I'm saying they are a little bit more like an act. I hope they're not getting angry at me, the people that I. <laughs> that I... But um, because they are so incredibly successful on, on a big scale for a big audience, if they, they can still try some things out, I hope they do, right? But people are going there, it's like because they kind of expect something. They cannot go really too deep when you are playing for fifty thousand people, or twenty thousand people, or ten thousand people. It's different than when you play in a dark club, in front of a thousand people. There you can really take them on a journey. And but the big crowds, they need explosions, right? They need hands up in the air, uh, uh, music. They really—it's about the explosions and the energy in in that festival area. Um, so it's a little. It's a different type of performing. When you are performing for, let's say, 10,000 people or 1,000 people in a club, that's really, really different.
0: Don't you feel like there are some artists, at, at least that's my feeling, the ones that I find make it to the top, uh, that I'm like personally a fan of, like the Dimitri Vegas and like Mike and the Martin Garrix's Tiesto. Um, I remember Tiesto playing on the Olympic Games really long ago now. Uh, But like, I mean, that's an arena of, I don't know how many people, but like tens of thousands, if not more. Um, And then he like plays a song and it seems like he does the same what you're describing an underground DJ is doing with all these people. Isn't that what makes them great, you think? Yeah.
1: And now you're talking about somebody who knows... He comes from back in the days. Tiesto really knows what DJing is. And I don't care if it's your taste or not. You know, some people think he became too commercial now. Other people really love what he's doing now. But he became so big because he is an incredibly talented artist. Um, he really, you know, he, if you look on, on YouTube and, and search for those uh, big concert hall, I think he was one of the first DJs doing the, the big concert hall here in the netherlands with vinyls i mean if you can do that an entire night with vinyls on your own no other dj involved then you know how to dj he knows i know people that were there and this is i don't know how many years ago and they they can still they, they still get goosebumps when they think about those moments so yes he definitely knows how to, how to DJ, definitely. But now he is reaching a different kind of audience. Because you grow older as an artist, he's probably 50 now as well, and your audience becomes younger. So he, he really had to adjust, you know, they, they tried to stay relevant as well.
0: Um, so when you're growing as a DJ like that, um, You said like investors come in, they start building you up. Um, Does that make it harder for others who are legitimately just great artists to break through?
1: You are 100% right about this. The music industry has changed a lot over the last 10 years for sure. And a lot of people are struggling now because a lot of them are really, really, really talented artists and in this scene for a long time, Spending hours in the studio doing what they love, creating music, and on top of that, streaming and illegal downloads. So they are making less money with all the times, all the time that they spent in their studio making that music, and they see other young kids pop up like that, um, having an amazing career, getting paid DJ fees that are. F- what rock stars used to be paid sometimes, and I'm really talking about two hundred fifty thousand euros for two hours sometimes. That's really some fees that that I know from uh, from some artists, and obviously that's not for everybody, right? There is there are there is this this group of people that become that successful, uh, and then thank God there are a lot of people still also making their living out of it uh, before the pandemic. Um, But so yeah, it definitely shook our entire industry. Um, When it got more and more commercial, the more popular, even techno became, which was really an underground thing, became so popular now, it changed a lot in the techno landscape. Yeah.
0: How competitive Is everything because you said it's super competitive which I can totally imagine but then if you look at the music like the techno EDM landscape uh, you find that a lot of the dream DJs at least the ones that I was listening to turned out all to be uh, Dutch and uh, and when I hear the stories uh, or I watch the vlogs on YouTube from them Uh, It all kind of comes down to Tiesto and him somehow mentoring a lot of these Dutch uh, artists, I think maybe is it is it like we're in the Netherlands Uh, and I find that when I moved to the Netherlands, people were so open with their network sharing, connecting Um, was Tiesto maybe like the front runner. Did he open doors and then kind of got all of these other guys in. I think Afrojack is uh, Dutch as well, uh, which I didn't know. Nicky Romero is Dutch as well. So it's like all these big artists that I didn't know were Dutch, uh, are Dutch. And I feel like, h- how did, how is the networking in the Dutch landscape? Is it that it's so competitive, but then the Dutch landscape isn't? Like, how does it work?
1: There's always competition. Um, but the Dutch... Um, first of all that there are so many successful dutch djs because we the netherlands really embraced electronic music it doesn't come from us but now we are one of the biggest in the world our our music electronic music industry is one of the most professional ones worldwide when it comes to organizing festivals, but also the amount of talent that we have—we uh, are—it's one of the biggest export products that we have as well. Like people like Armin van Buren and, and they are—it's—it's—it's it's, it's true. It's you can really look it up online, and um, so that is because we really embrace this kind of music. So uh, on the radio, um, in our clubs. And the states where it actually came from, they started to embrace uh, R&B music and hip hop music on radio and in the clubs. So they really got only the really underground people, the DJs that were that grew up with it in the cities like Chicago, New York, and Detroit. They they were really they're still the legendary DJs of today. But we took it from them. And um, also the UK. So a lot of English uh, British DJs as well that are very, very talented and famous. Um, so in that sense, a little country like uh, ours is became so successful with it because we it's in our system, it's kind of in our DNA. And then people like Tiesto, like, I think 15, 20 years ago, obviously there were only a few, that were embracing this and became the top DJs of then, which is not as ha- it's not nothing to compare with nowadays. The top DJs now make maybe one hundred fifty k a show, but back in the days it was I don't know it was um, probably two thousand when you were a top DJ if you if you. Um... But indeed, people like Tiesto who've seen everything, they see young talent popping up. Also, like uh, Hartwell, he was 14 already when he signed his first uh, record deal, and I think he was already saying when he was 14 or 15, like I'm, I'm becoming the number one DJ of the world. When I, <laughs> and he did it. Um, and there are many discussions in our scene about, mm, are you a number one DJ? What because it's still the commercial DJs, right? That are, uh, and there's so much. Uh, um, in the underground scene, there is so much uh, great talent out there. So again, we are really focusing a lot on on the more commercial names now, which is I can totally understand because you're not really um, acquainted with it with the music industry otherwise. But yeah, uh, they started to help and uplift others. Definitely, it's it's great to see as well. I the you know what the music comes from. Um, sharing you know uh, electronic music started on the dance floor it's actually made by black people back in the days the people in chicago the people in in
0: like uh so i think i saw the movie with uh, nwa and then dr dre i think was, was he playing edm at the time because he was playing like some techno stuff that i
1: don't know i don't know if he, if he did that but um
0: but i did i didn't know that it was like a black culture thing
1: yeah, 100%. Techno really comes from, from black people uh, growing up in Detroit, and it was Motown City. So uh, their fathers were working really? in technology. That. That's why it's called techno. And so they started to mess around with these, with these drum computers, and they had no idea because it wasn't done before. So they just started to experiment with it. And techno music was born. But that was already when... House music was born already, and if you lo- listen to the old house music records, there's a lot of gospel influences in there—gospel music, gospel um, uh, vocals, uh, melodies, uh, techno music. Really, uh, you hear a lot of Motown uh, influences in it or soul. So yeah, we definitely, we definitely uh, g- got it from them. It's not a, a white people thing. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: well nowadays if you look at it it almost like feels like it i i I know that i know um oh i love this one dj carl carl cox oh yeah like yeah
1: yeah
0: but like outside of him like who else is black or? oh a lot
1: of them um yeah, so the guy's from Detroit. It's um Juan Atkins, who was actually the founding father of Techno. Um
0: no, but I mean from the now commercial the ones. The
1: commercial uh, ones.
0: Like now the popular top ten DJs or something. Uh
1: I don't know who is in the top ten right now because I don't really Or
0: or what I mean like if I if I see like Tomorrowland or Ultra Festival, how many like yeah, how many black artists do you see? Because I remember watching Tomorrowland, and I feel like on the main stage, almost nobody.
1: It's I've never thought about it like that because in in my the scene that I am most active in when it comes to my DJing, there is a lot of um, uh, black people there that are really really respected and still going. And uh, but you're now you're mentioning the more commercial ones. I think you're right that's probably
0: um... I don't know that's why I'm asking but I I just remember I watch every year Tomorrowland and I'm just like you you telling me like how it's uh, coming from the black culture and obviously like hip-hop R&B came from the black culture and the dominating like top artists uh, like they aren't white Uh, and there are like Eminem of course like I love Eminem but like you also have like you know, Tupac, Biggie Smalls, like these epic names. Whereas if you think about EDM, you're thinking about Tiesto, who's like Dutch <laughs> uh, not like Detroit person. Um, that's why it was like so interesting. I was thinking like Tomorrowland and Ultra. These are like the representations. Uh, and if you look at the main stage, you're looking at mostly Dutch people. <laughs> that's why I was so um, yeah, asking those it's questions. It's funny
1: that you say that. Yeah, I've never thought about it like that. However, Lova, the music industry, electronic music industry, is so much more than what you see on the main stage of Tomorrowland. Definitely. It's so much bigger. That's just the tip of the iceberg. The ones that get it to, you know, to your mother and father at home, to the neighbor that speaks about, oh, do you know David Guetta? Of course we know, you know, but... Um, that's not that to me that you know they belong to our scene but it's not the electronic music scene for me it is part of it it's the tip of the iceberg
0: maybe a more uh, different question uh, then what are some good like going out spots for somebody like me who only knows the commercial stuff apparently so so what are like some good spots to appreciate music uh, in the Netherlands.
1: In the Netherlands. Well, it's different, very difficult like right Amsterdam now. Like
0: Amsterdam or...
1: Yeah, during the pandemic. Yeah, you Yeah, of know, course, everything, during normal
0: times. Let's
1: see who survives. <laughs> let's see who survives. But what I would oh, say... Oh, is it
0: really that bad?
1: Uh, yeah, well, we are for almost a year already with no events. Nobody's making money. So many freelancers, many event promoters are bankrupt. And... Um, only the really, really, really big ones they will survive. So I'm really not just me. The entire music industry is really and the, curious. And the
0: government didn't uh, like provide. I, I saw the government was providing, you know, subsidies and stuff like that. Do you feel like the smaller ones weren't able to to get those?
1: I hope so, but I didn't speak to everybody. I think we're also a lot of um, at the time focused on surviving ourselves. So, um, but let's say we open up again. I would definitely recommend, well, okay, let's say a little bit outside of the Netherlands. But if you are going to big festivals like that anyway, like Tomorrowland, for example, please make sure you go visit those other stages as well. The smaller ones, which are still big.
0: Yeah, I do. I
1: do. Yeah, because that's where where you really... And this is also what I hope a lot of the times people that might... I come in from the underground getting to know all the commercial people because also of my work, but I, uh, it works vice versa as well, right? People that come in because they know the commercial ones and they walk at a festival, festival like Tomorrowland and they walk through the different stages and discover other talents and other artists... In the more underground scene, maybe a really cool techno artist that they're like, "Wow, what is this?" You know. Um, and in the Netherlands, for sure, uh, I would say visit Awakenings. Go, go visit Awakening. It's legendary already for like twenty years, and uh, there is the festival is amazing, but also um, the gas holder uh, a few times a year, and it's always sold out. They have a fireworks show in the gas holder, so in the and that's that's really a, a raw techno event. So there is no commercial music there and um, it's always sold out. So if you want to have a little sneak peek or a big sneak peek, um, visit stuff like that as well. And then there is Thuishaven in Amsterdam, which was quite like a mini festival every week. They have a circus tent and um, it's, it's, it's a great atmosphere there. They probably will survive as well the pandemic but there is and there's really underground clubs uh as well but um yeah,
0: how are you dealing with the pandemic because obviously like music industry got hit very hard how how did you deal with everything
1: it was uh quite uh, interesting for me because I just um healed from a severe burnout back in 2017 and I was getting back on track and I was investing all my time and energy and, and money in my career. And it was basically, I was getting signed to the to the good labels, just signed a new management contract, was supposed to play probably a residency in one of the biggest clubs in Ibiza last summer. And all Which that... One? Uh, amnesia. Well, it, it wasn't really out there at the news yet, so um, and there were no contracts signed yet. But um, um, so, um, but I, I was really getting mentally prepared for that. Like, okay, you know, I uh, let, let's let's go, uh, and I was looking forward to it. So it was quite rough to then suddenly, after a few, you know, a year of really getting back on track or two, and investing everything that you have and then a pandemic hits you and my first reaction was okay um, I just recovered from a really rough time in my life so I can deal with this because now we're in this together (laughs) I really thought it's not just me Um, but it's taking really long now and uh, I'm, I'm really curious because some people some artists really have a hard time surviving literally because they have experienced mental problems but also financial problems and there are other artists that are they had enough income they can wait it out I don't say that they are not missing what they were doing because they were passionate about what they're doing so for everybody it's really different for me I started to uh, dive into the mental health aspect more and more because um, already last year before the pandemic, people started to ask me to share my experiences because I was already on stage as an interviewer or event moderator a lot. People started to ask me to do a more public speaking on this topic about mental health um, about because of my own experiences, but also what I've seen around me working in the industry uh, behind the scenes so long. I've seen colleagues struggling with their mental health, with anxiety, with addiction, suicide. I've seen it all. And um, so in that sense, I am really, really um, getting a deeper understanding about everything mental health and health in general. It's, it's an amazing journey that I'm on uh, the last year. And um, so that's if there's one positive thing about the pandemic, it is that. I feel that I'm closer to maybe living my purpose, uh, doing something back for the industry that I love. Yeah.
0: What have you discovered around mental health? Like what were things that you're doing now? Can you share?
1: So I also became a member of the Association for Electronic Music. That's a, um, an association for worldwide for the electronic music industry to to be there, to be a sounding board or a place for information or support for anything um, possible. So uh, legal support, but also health, um, but also diversity. We just spoke about Black artists or not. And uh, so there's also there are different working groups in that association. And I am part of the health working group focused on mental health because I wanted to get a deeper understanding about this. And what I see... Uh, and i and I do respect everything and every single thing that that we are all doing to raise awareness about mental health and But what I also noticed is when you when you really really, really feel depressed, anxious, and you really don't know how to get through a day, then you're not going to search on Google for a for information about how to better your sleeping patterns or how to um, deal with anxiety on tour or during a pandemic, when you really hit rock bottom, that's not what you're going to need. That's not what you, um, you need support. You need a listening ear. You need literally to get through the day. And to be there for people in that sense, I think we have a long way to go. Of course, there are a lot of organizations already with phone numbers um, that you can call. Also, the father of Avicii has started a foundation, the Tim Birkling Foundation, where he um, they are all about destigmatizing mental health issues as well. And they are doing a lot of work uh, also a lot of it in Sweden now because Avicii was a a Swedish artist. Um, But we have still, I believe we have a lot of work to do to, if we want to really make a change in the electronic music industry and not lose people over anxiety, depressions, and uh, drug abuse or addiction, then we need to have a more sustainable change. There needs to be there need to be people who really want to be standing up and saying, "We're going to do it differently from now on <laughs> yeah
0: so how does that different look like? because obviously you stood up now to do it differently so so what are some practical things that are going to happen or you're planning to do
1: um there are a lot of things in, in still in ooh, in development and in um, still in development, but I I believe that it's not up to me to say what the change should be. I think a lot of people together are making that change. And um, for example, having uh, a place to go for young talents and parents. Like uh, what we just discussed about with Tim Berkling and his and his parents, um, a, a, a central place where they can have the right guidance, where they can ask all their questions about the electronic music industry or the music industry for that matter in in general. Um, how are we taking care of each other in the music industry? Are we? It's really competitive. And on the other hand, we are almost family because if you're on the road so often, you don't see your real family or your partner. Some people have children that they, you know, a lot of the times don't see when the children are off school in the weekends, the mother or father artist is traveling. So to build sustainable change, to create sustainable change, there needs to be definitely... Uh, a different approach in how we um, how we go about the scene. Yes, it will still be a money making business, but should it really cost somebody's health? So it's up also it's also the responsibility of the artist itself. How am I going to take responsibility of my health? How am I going to reach my goals in a more sustainable way, in a mentally healthy way, but also physically healthy way? Is there... I am offering coaching sessions now or mentorships for people to say, okay, I see you as a a holistic uh, being. You are not just an artist that has goals or dreams. You bring your... Because what I've noticed as an artist myself... To any stage that you will be performing at. First and foremost, you bring yourself to that stage. With your anxiety, with your doubts, with your uh, lack of sleep, with the pressure of others, with people that are waiting for you to, and expect you to really deliver a good performance. uh, To wake up after a few hours of sleep. um, How to deal, I have had really famous artists uh, performing all over the world. And coming back in their hotel room and finding me on Skype because um, they went from maybe performing in front of 20,000 people back to their hotel room by themselves, all alone, already that. It's quite a mindfuck. It is like, you know, you get all the attention and now I'm alone and there's no sounding board. And how do you deal with that? And... Um, so there is, there are so many different aspects to health in the music industry. So many different aspects to it.
0: What uh, tends to pop up in your coachings a lot? Um, is it like really like they just went out on stage to like thousands of people and then suddenly they're alone? Is loneliness like a big thing or are there other uh, things that tend to be really bad for an, for an artist? I think
1: one of the biggest challenges that we all face right now is social media. A lot of, especially young talent, is trying to be something or something that they are not. And I'm not actually, not just speaking about young talents, even the ones that are in the industry for a longer time and having to ad- adapt with social media and and adapting to oh, people want to really see me now. People want to, you know, I have to share things about myself. And um, so that's, I think that's the biggest challenge for a lot of them. That's a topic that comes back a lot. Um, Do you think I need to do this to become successful? Do you think that I need to do this or look that way? Or how do I deal with my social media? Or it's more about what other people expect, Instead of going back to their core being, what is important for them, I always start with their values. What is important to you in your life? And if it's authenticity, then why are you trying to be somebody else, for example? It's not sustainable. You cannot keep up. And also, when some people just are in it for the fame and the money, it's not sustainable either. I'm not saying to them that they cannot make a career out of that, but... To be to be more sustainable and mentally healthy in 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 an industry like that, you can see quite early who are the ones that are going to survive and who are not. And on top of that, some people are really passionate about it, but they are just not built for this. They are literally not built for this um, because everybody is a different person. I don't believe in in a one. One-size-fits-all coaching or, or strategy. Everybody is different. Everybody is different.
0: How do you know if somebody is built for it and somebody is not?
1: Hmm. There are... I know, for example, that I am quite a sensitive person. Uh, I'm a perfectionist. And I need more sleep than the average DJ. <laughs> And on top of that, I'm not really good at disco nabs. So when you are um, an artist um, and you want to perform at a top level, that is really, really important. So where do I take my breaks? How do I take care of myself? Everybody's really, literally built differently. I do believe that. We are all built differently. And so how do you... how do you see that is there is definitely I know some artists that are it's like their engine is always on and they are not burned out because they're they are authentic they are real about it they are passionate about what they're doing they are creative so they come up with new ideas to stay relevant and on top of that they have a body a system that can deal with maybe less sleep or they have a natural way of, a natural energy um, that is just always there. It doesn't mean that they are robots or machines, but they know themselves so well and what they need and what is helping them and what is not helping them. And on top of that, the people around you, who are the people that you gather around you, are really, really important. Are they there also really because they care about you or are they there... Because they want to see you succeed, so they will succeed as well
0: in such a competitive industry, how do you know who's for real and who I mean you're in this industry for like ten years now. Do you know when somebody's real, when somebody's fake? how do you know they're in it for the right reasons?
1: Yeah, I think I've been going about uh, around in this industry for already twenty years now. Um,
0: yeah, even more yeah.
1: how do you how do you know? I think you, you don't know. Of course, you have to have an antenna. And then there is the rumors because, <laughs> you know, it, it's a big industry. And at the same time, it's small. The key players, the one that really are dealing the shots, you know, are really are really the, the main influencers. That's just when you get more and more in the industry, then, you know, it's a small world anyway. And who you can trust is... Um, I believe that when you are authentic, you will also um, attract the people, your tribe, right? You will attract the people that that you need to be working with. However, when you're young and you don't know anything about this industry, the wrong people, the more narcissistic people who want to get a piece of you because you are successful or they see talent in you, That's where it's tricky. And this is why I advise young talent and their parents to really also have a mentor, to really search for a person like me, for example, that can help them out. People that know the industry, uh, that they can ask questions, how to, uh, to support them, to not figure it all out by themselves. And on top of that... For example, me as a woman, I've also, even knowing the industry inside out, I've also experienced things where I get really disappointed in the people that I was working with or or peop- things that, that happened to me or offered to me. Um, it's part of the process as well, right? This is how we learn as well.
0: Do you want to, like, are you able to share some of the stuff so that, uh, like, I can... Like people can know what type of things women experience. Um.
1: So, for example, um, a very big influential person in the industry said, "Why isn't it you on that stage there, um, playing at a really big, uh, on a really big stage at a big festival?" And I said, "Well." I said, "What do you mean? It's because they they how they are what more popular or they are more." Um, and I know how the game works. It's also who do you know, and I know every, like quite a lot of people. Everybody is just, uh, but um, but selling myself was one of was a little bit difficult for for me to do. So when you don't work with a manager or the right agent, it's it's difficult to get through. And on top of that, I was really much a purist. But this person said, "Well, I can get you up on that stage." Uh, you know, she doesn't deserve to be on that stage any more than you do. And you know that, he said. And I said, okay, what is your point? What are you dealing, what are you saying? Well, I can get you up on that stage in no time if you want, but then you have to be with me. And I thought, okay. So I said, be with you. What do you mean? You want to manage me? No, no, no. You need to really like, I really needed to be in a relationship with that guy. So without any love involved, I needed to be, Come, his girlfriend and he said all the money that I'm going to make off of you by you becoming so successful I will put back in our back in our relationship I will treat you to nice dinners and great hotels all over the world and I thought am I really hearing this and this is these are people that this is uh, well. There's a another. There's a big Me Too movement going on in our industry as well at the moment.
0: Yeah, exactly. How long ago? How long ago was this? Because like it sounds like cancel culture would have taken. Cameras. Yeah, but this <laughs> was this
1: was only a couple of years ago. Um, however, um, there um, has been another suicide in our industry, and that person was a really famous DJ and got accused of rape. And uh, this caused a lot of um, dividedness uh, on social media again. uh, People were supporting uh, the victim, uh, the rape victim, also being a female DJ. And other people were um, really negative about her and putting her down and defending the person who was accused of rape. Um, So this is, I think, half a year ago or something. And this really brought up a lot of Me Too moments to the surface in our industry. Um, And it really became a big, big topic. How do we deal if we really want sustainable change? Here we go again in our industry, an industry that is built on love and sharing and caring Emotions on the dance floor and we always talk about the electronic music industry as one that is very Open-minded and very it should be safe for everybody and anybody But in the end we are noticing It's not really because we work in an industry where alcohol and drugs and um, where other people are letting go but also Narcissism and power, you know, how do, is 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 a very common thing. Unfortunately, also we have a long way to go uh, to really.
0: But so, how do you deal with that as a as a woman? Uh, as well, especially now, I feel like is there more empowerment to actually, I don't know, go to the police or something and just like say like, hey, this happened, uh, or or. Like, are there people you can call or like organizations you can call and be like, I know, for instance, okay, so in Europe um, or at least like in in, like Benelux, like Netherlands, Belgium, there are organizations when people are like racist and then you call this organization and like you you can say like, hey, this person is like. Or like maybe not racism, but like uh, denying like the Holocaust or something like that. There's like organizations for that. Um, are there organizations for like to check whether like obviously like when a woman does some type of allegation, whether it's actually real and then when it's real that, that she just, like gets all the support and then this person is dealt with in, uh, in a way that doesn't involve like getting everybody involved from cancel culture because you know that also sometimes goes way too far um, as witness with the story here so is there are there organizations like yeah so? there
1: are definitely like again the association for electronic music that i'm a member of they really have a platform a listening ear a supportive they really want to also in, uh, include this topic and and um um to really you can always reach out uh there is a place to go however i'm not so sure if everybody knows that even though they're doing great work um i'm not sure if, if people will really go or because when you're a victim of that i've also been um 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 how do i say it like uh Assaulted in 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 a hotel room by a promoter who lost his mind over cocaine. You, as a woman, you travel the world by yourself, and it's scary. I did cancel a lot of gigs that I've been asked to come because I just didn't trust it. I asked for two plane tickets so I could bring a guy, a friend, or you know, uh, um, for them it would. I would be telling them it would be my tour manager. But you have to have a certain income to also be. Uh, uh, able to pay a tour manager all the time um so yeah it's sometimes it's really really scary but yes there are places to go um however speaking up about this is definitely and it's not just in our industry right that's just everyday life a victim of rape or sexual abuse or whatever is it's really really difficult for them to speak up especially when those people are the key figures in the industry Or because you really feel that people are going to look at you. You know, when that girl spoke about rape in public and it became public because the artist involved was a very, very famous one. Um, She, on top of what she has been through, had to deal with a lot of negative stuff on social media as well. So it's rough. It's, um, yeah, I can imagine yeah. I've seen stories. But it's a good movement. It's a good change that there are places now that we are actually talking about it now. That's the first step, right?
0: Wait, so wh- where is the place again? Can, like Is it is a website? What, what type of website? Where can people find it? There
1: is Well, the Association for Electronic Music, it's uh, AFEM. So there's a website for it, and they have different... Um, um, they really will help you further if you uh, if you work in the electronic music industry and you need, need support on whatever level, if it's legal or health-wise or uh, with diversity, for example, or, or this. And uh, there's also a female artist, a techno artist, that was really taking this very, very seriously, Rebecca. And she started a, a movement uh, for the music, it's called, and she's really doing... You know, she really wants to make a change as well about this topic. She's like, um, she wants people to speak up. Uh, and, and in that sense, we we see that hopefully people will look out for each other a little bit more in the industry as well. Yeah.
0: But so for young girls entering as a new DJ into the industry, it seems to me like... This is a problem. Okay, there are some instances you can go to, but then, um, you know, I'm very solution oriented. I'm sorry, but um, I mean, I'm just imagining if I have a daughter that goes into like EDM, I want to make sure that like everything is uh, right. So uh, so when somebody asks um, you to come over to do a gig, a good uh, question would be like, hey, can my tour manager come? so that there's always, like, a guy there uh, with you uh, just in case. Um, but it seems like that's, like, the only solution, like, it is, like, maybe learning about self-defense, I think. Hmm.
1: Yeah. You know what? I think every child, every, you know, has a risk of experiencing negative things. We all experience negative things in our life. So, um you cannot really protect your child for everything, right? The, the, the minute it, he or she grows up, you let them out in the world, they are becoming grown-ups, and things can happen. So it's not, I also don't want to give the impression that the music industry is one where every girl gets sexually harassed, or every girl, you know, it, it's, Needs to have five bodyguards to be protected. Thank God, it's that's not that's not the case either. However, um, so there needs to be some some trust as well. Um, before you get to the level that you are working with a tour manager, you already have a very decent career. I can tell you that. So from the beginning on, you will be traveling by yourself. Then it is. Um, Yeah, it depends. It really, really depends. It, it, I, I don't think there you can. There is a way to be one hundred percent sure of no risk. When I go on the street here, I have a risk of something that can happen to me. So I think again, it comes to the right guidance as well. Really help that girl if she has a sounding board. Like like if I would mentor that that artist, that young talent, and she's going abroad. I would want to be her sounding board as well. I would want to help her out that if something happens or that she feels a little bit uncomfortable or then we can involve the management or the agent like, okay, that promoter in that country, is it safe? Have you have good experiences? With, you know, always check as well. I've had amazing... Uh,
0: is there actually something like that? Is there like a Yelp or review tool for trust pilot tool for promoters
1: no not really um and why i'm mentioning this is because i always did everything by myself uh for many years my bookings my management my and i experienced this when i got arrested in my hotel room because the promoter was out of you know, out of his mind i was i became very very careful so i didn't I, I canceled some gigs because of it. Because I, I went, I needed to go to countries where I didn't trust it. I didn't know about the promoters, and I, with my contacts, I know a lot of people in the industry that are high-level agents, high-level, high-level booking agents. So they said, "Why didn't you just call me? Why didn't you, even though I'm not your agent? Why didn't you just ask me?" We know for all these years, we have worked with all the clubs out there already all over the world. So we would know if that would be a person to trust or not. So in that sense, again, it comes down to when you're fresh, when you're a newbie in this industry, please find the right people. Don't figure it out all by yourself.
0: It seems like, uh, like obviously, like startup funding event. It seems like almost an opportunity for a startup to create a uh, review tool specifically for this industry. Or do you think that would go bad because of how competitive it is?
1: Maybe, M- maybe. And also, you know what? It kind of also is not in line. It, I, I would feel very sad if this is really necessary to do so, because as the industry is came out of is built up of passion and connectedness, and I believe that if if things like that are really necessary to do, have reviews about the promoter, then what's the what's the sign that we are then? Then I don't think our industry—we are lost, sort to say, right? Then we are really lost. Then it's not about any love or connectedness or. But, but
0: I mean, not, not really. Like, I mean, taxi drivers were also very long, like, available, but there was no really review tools, and then Uber came along, and those same taxi drivers, uh, started getting like real reviews. The good ones got like good reviews, and the bad ones started getting bad reviews. So. It, it just became this public thing. Yeah.
1: I, I know that agents do that. So the booking agents, they do that. They, they, they do always ask their artists, so how was that gig? How did the promoter treat you? Was everything okay for you? And so promoters that really mess up, they don't get the artists for their events anymore. And they go in this little black book as well. So the the booking agents talk with each other, right? Also these offices. So... The big ones they will tell each other that when you come into that black book you don't get to book any of these big names again I, because you
0: what, what are some big booking agents obviously I'm not from the industry so like what is if a young person enters the industry is looking for some reputable booking agencies what are like big names that that are famous It
1: really depends on what kind of image you have you know what kind of sound you are playing because there are really good agencies for techno artists there are really good agencies for more commercial artists one of the biggest is a William Morris agency who is not only focused oh, yeah, yeah i think you know that one because that that one got focused on electronic music later as well but first they are they are also the 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 agent of many pop idols yeah they're like yeah. a
0: speaker yeah. yeah.
1: There are many different out there. Yeah.
0: Clear. Um, I want to circle back because we went really far into this uh, and I think it's like a pretty clear picture of how everything is. So, so that's really nice because I think if somebody new enters the industry, they know where to turn, how to handle themselves and what to look out for. But uh, I want to like circle back to a more like positive tone. Uh, and go a little bit deeper into like further into your career. So obviously you were interviewing a lot. Then you started becoming this DJ. Um, I wanted to hear like some of your stories as a DJ. Like how was Coachella like how was ultra like how how was playing becoming a DJ? How was that like? Could you share some like cool stories from that time?
1: Well, at Coachella and Ultra, I didn't DJ. There, I was uh, doing interviews, but those were really amazing stories as well. Uh, For example,
0: please share. Yeah.
1: uh, Oh, that was a funny year. I think it was 2011. Um, First, I went to work for a big film production. Um, That movie was actually um, also in the cinemas in the States and in the Netherlands. And it's called "Can You Feel It," and that's more like a commercial product of Ultra Music Festival. Um, and it's more like a, a big video clip made by a Dutch guy who made movies for Federal Grant.
0: I saw that. Uh, I saw that one.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I did the interviews for that one. But while I was working there, I I also interviewed Will I Am there from the Black Eyed Peas, and I remember. Becoming friends with his management, and on during my work at that was in March 2011. I think it was 11. I got invited to also work a few weeks later. I think two three weeks later at Coachella Festival in Indio, Indio, which is uh, near LA. But I flew back to the Netherlands and arranged everything business wise, and I then I went back to uh, to the states. work there and the person it's a long drive um um, it's a long drive from lax airport la airport to indio to the desert where the festival is and um my friend from miami who was i supposed to work a drive with from lax airport to the desert didn't show up last minute and he said but you know what I arranged something else for you. A friend of mine from L.A. is going and you can drive with him. Oh, by the way, he's also in the music industry. So you're probably going to have a lot of fun together. And I was waiting at that airport, not knowing who would come pick me up. <laughs> and he was too late. So uh, first of all, I thought maybe he's not showing up at all. And then what? Um So a little bit later, this guy comes with a a car with a bump in it. Like he really got an accident just before or something. And I was like, oh my God, who is this guy? He was a producer who worked uh, on a Grammy award, Grammy winning award album for Lady Gaga. And he worked with Michael Jackson in a studio in his house. And I was like, oh my God. And we had so much fun together. We were listening to... um, what was the group it was the band that was also uh, Mumford and Sons they would perform at um so he knew a lot about this kind of music as well so that was an album we we were singing it along we were we became really friends only on the way towards um the festival already i was staying in a big villa with people that i don't know people so the the guy who hired me fixed a a, a bedroom there for me and um i remember being working at coachella and this is where in the backstage area it's not just electronic music artists those are <laughs> for coachella they are not the ones what it's all about the big artists are there um i've saw i met Clint Eastwood in the in the in the backstage and all of a sudden i was hanging out with my electronic music friends and days all these dj's and then all of a sudden they went away to see an act perform And then I got this little uh, tick on my shoulder and I looked and there was a person asking me if I was married. And I thought, who is this person? And I was looking straight in the eyes of Usher. And I was like, and and then (laughs) I started to have a conversation with him. And we had a nice conversation and his bodyguard dragged him away because they needed to go. He, He asked me for my business card and... Uh, we were in touch for a little bit more. Nothing happened, by the way, because people so weeks later in the Netherlands, a DJ who was also at Coachella but not there at that moment because nobody was there to witness it said, Are you are you dating Usher or did you whatever do with Usher? And I was like, I didn't. Oh my so gosh. The <laughs> really? news was <were> spreading, <laughs> but there was nothing, nothing at all between us. And um the day after, when I was still in LA, I, get in, I got an invitation from the Black Eyed Peas to come at their private party, their after party at a big villa. And I didn't have a car. I didn't know how to get there. So what I did was call my, my new friend, the, the guy that picked me up from the airport, the producer from Lady Gaga and Michael Jackson. And I said, you probably know them already, but you know, if you want, you can come with me to that party of the Black Eyed Peas. And he says... Oh, I don't know them yet. And I thought, how is this possible? A Dutch girl from Amsterdam has to introduce the producer of Lady Gaga to the people from Black Eyed Peas. So I said, okay, maybe it's handy that you're coming so I can introduce you to them. We arrive at the party and there is police there. And it's for, you know, a person from the Netherlands, it's quite impressive when you see cops at a villa with their guns out, like you know, everybody have to leave, everybody has to leave. They were shouting, and I thought, oh my god, because I I I think I watched too many Hollywood movies. I was thinking, people are gonna get shot here. That was <laughs> it was the first thing in my mind, and I thought, we need to get out of here. However, the manager of the black-eyed peas was came towards me and to the police and said no 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 she's with us she's all right she she can stay so what happened was the police came there to really shut down the party but there the black eyed peas were able to make an agreement with the cops to have only a few really inside insiders like close (laughs) friends so i got in there and and it was crazy so there, I, I, I still remember there was a little airplane in that garden and it was it was one of the craziest evenings that I've experienced in my life and I thought this is nobody will believe me this is this is like a little but this is just one of the little experiences or things wait, wait,
0: wait we need to we need to go back <laughs> we need to go i said there was an airplane in the garden can you tell the full I story so, okay, i don't know i don't know it was says- just
1: there it was a bit crazy yeah it was not a big one but it was i can't i can really recall a little and i'm i was not on drugs i'm really honest i didn't drink i didn't do any drugs there was an airplane in that garden, or a little one, a small one, probably a one-person one. You know, the one that you can. But you know, those things just. And and I'm, and I'm still friends. You know, when they come to the Netherlands, they call me as well. Like, oh, Will is here. Will I am is performing. Do you want to come to the show? Uh, do you want to hang out? Um, and then I arrange guest list for them in a club here. You know, I, I call my network here and i say hey you can imagine that Will Am doesn't want to just drop into a party in amsterdam because everybody will be you know asking for pictures or so he needs to have a separate entrance and so um and yeah that happens when you work in the mu- music industry you meet amazing people you you have sometimes really weird like running into Nile rogers like that and having a chance to interview him it's those things can happen, you know. We're all we're all in this little music family together. Um, it's big, but it's small at the same time. So, yeah.
0: That's a pretty fun stories. Um, we're starting to wrap up, but uh, I want to ask you uh, if you would look at your entire career, um, especially now that you're into like promoting this mental health. Uh, and all the cool stuff you've experienced what are like some learning lessons you're taking away from it that you would give to like your younger self just entering the industry
1: that's a great question i think number 1 is definitely for everybody stop comparing yourself don't get bittered or frustrated because of what you see others do if you are I mean music is about passion music is about creativity about sharing a, a connectedness with others when you show up as a bitter and frustrated person you are not there entering the music industry with the right energy and you will not connect with the right people and you will definitely get depressed or anxiety problems thinking that you are not good enough or you will never reach your goals. There is a place and space for everybody in this world, in every industry. And I'm not saying that every person, every single person will make it um, because it takes a lot of you. It takes talent it takes luck it takes meeting the right people at the right time it takes a lot of persistence you really should know that it's not an easy road but when you're passionate about something then you're willing to take that so that's my biggest biggest advice show up with the right energy and don't try to be somebody else really Dive into who you are, what is important to you, what do you want to carry out, and who is your audience? You don't have to be um, the right artist for everybody. Madonna isn't the right artist for everybody, even though she reached a lot of people out there. But um start with you. Be authentic. What is important to you, and then go from there. And don't figure it out by yourself. I mean, when I started in the music industry, the music industry was already halfway there, right? And the, the, the true pioneers who really started everything, they had nobody to turn to. They had no mentors. They had no guides. They had nobody to talk to about their... Because everything was new. But right now, if you're starting, please find a good support system. Find a mental coach. Find a mentor. Find the right people that you can ask questions that can help you further, really.
0: Yeah, those are some uh, great tips. I feel like a lot of the tips that you've given are almost similar tips that I'd be giving um, like beginning startups in the tech industry, um, like where they're starting a new company and it's just pretty much the same advice. Um, So very... Kind of similar paths, but completely different industries. Um, I'd love to roll the, out the red carpet for you. And how can people find you? Is there something that you're starting that you'd love to share with the people? Please uh, share it here. Thank you.
1: Um, for now, people can. I am also on Facebook, but uh, right, and I'm on Twitter, and but I'm doing most of my things on Instagram, which is Siren Music. You can also probably just type in Ransk van Kollenberg and then it shows up anyway. So it's Siren is still my artist name. S-A-I-R-E-N, Siren Music. Um, However, I'm doing so much around mental health. So I do also have a a website, ranskvancallenberg.com. Where you can find bits and pieces about my moderating work my hosting jobs my dj thing my podcast Soundwaves is on there um, i started a podcast interviewing key figures in the music industry uh, talking about sustainability about mental health about you know you know things that are really really adding <laughs> a little deeper layers into our music industry and um probably soon I'm going to launch another platform which is all about health because I've been learning so much about health in so many ways Um, but yeah it's not there yet so people if you find me on my Instagram or my website there will be the most uh, updates for sure
0: that's uh that's amazing that you are here to share all of this I'm really kind of Yeah, impressed at uh, how much information we got from you. Uh, I knew nothing about the music industry, obviously only the things I saw online. Um, And I think a lot of young artists that might be interested in this or uh, even just people who are interested in getting into the industry, I think got a lot of value out of this. So Thank you so much for uh, coming on and I'm really excited to maybe invite you back uh, when we're inviting people back again.
1: That would be lovely. I would be uh, very, you know, um, because I'm doing so much work about mental health and I would love to... um, when there are new developments and there is so much happening on, on in the in the backstage of it <laughs> to use a term of the music industry so um when there when i'm ready to share more i would love to be your guest again you're doing great work uh, lova
0: if you liked this episode you can check out our most recent one here and if you haven't already make sure you click here to subscribe and see the next one But if you're interested in more tips and tricks, then make sure to join our Facebook group where you can find thousands of like-minded people and you get direct access and support to any business question from the entire startup funding event team.